What's up everybody? Today we're gonna to be talking about Adani's $50 billion loss, Getty Images sues Stable Diffusion, psychedelic drug trials are legalized in Australia, and Berlin's remote teledriver startup, this and more on the Kojak Podcast today. Asia's biggest billionaire, Guadamadani, suffers massive losses to the tune of $50 billion this past January over the crisis engulfing the Adani Group. Hundreds from India's Youth Congress took to the streets to protest for press investigation just days after accusations from Hindenburg Research were released, alleging brazen accounting fraud, stock manipulation, and money laundering at Adani with the help of enablers in the government and a cottage industry of international companies that facilitate these activities. Hindenburg Research, which is a dumb name, released a more than 100-page report titled How the World's Richest Man is Pulling the Largest Con in Corporate History. The report takes aim at the stock price appreciation of Adani's seven key listed companies, which have spiked an average of 819% in just three years. Another excerpt reads, the Adani Group has previously been the focus of four major government fraud investigations, which have alleged money laundering, theft of taxpayer funds, corruption, totaling an estimated US $17 billion. The Adani family members cooperated to create offshore shell entities, tax haven jurisdictions, generating forged import-export documentation, and an apparent effort to generate fake or illegitimate turnover and to siphon money from the listed companies. This excerpt is just one of 45 equally damning bullet points to start off the report. But the drama ain't over yet. Adani fires back in a 413-page massive response directed at Hindenburg's statements, saying, we are shocked and deeply disturbed to read the report published by Madoffs of Manhattan, which is nothing but a lie. This is not merely an unwarranted attack on any specific company, but a calculated attack on India, the independence, integrity, and quality of Indian institutions, and the growth story and ambition of India. Adani's report release causes a follow-up response from Hindenburg titled, Fraud cannot be obfuscated by nationalism or a bloated response that ignores every key allegation we raised. That title just rolls right off the tongue, and it calls out Adani's report as sensationalist and irrelevant. Who won this battle? Well, Hindenburg's accusations stuck with investors and shares of Adani's flagship firm, Adani Enterprises, have plunged, as have the stock prices of other Adani companies. Hedge funds and distressed debt specialists have scooped up the bonds related to Guatemadani's business empire as they took to capitalize on falling prices in the aftermath of the scathing short seller report. It's also very worth mentioning that Hindenburg holds short positions in the Adani group, which means they will gain financially if Adani shares falls, hence the reason for writing the report in the first place. Hindenburg's founder, Nathan Anderson, and his group of activist short sellers have a track record of whistleblowing on corporate fraud for profiteering purposes. 
The recent roster updates include Trevor Milton, CEO of Nikola, found guilty last year of defrauding investors and boasting Nikola vaporware to inflate their stock. I am not a finance bro. I am not a crypto bro. So if you want an in-depth financial analysis, you're gonna have to find a different YouTuber. But what I can provide is a short-sighted take on the situation. So both Adani and Hindenburg are two sides of the same coin. Seeing such aggressive growth in Adani's portfolio suggests market manipulation, but so does posting slam pieces on stock shorts you just bought. It's like when siblings rat each other out to their parents to spread the blame around, except the only difference is you just sprinkle a couple billion dollars on top of that metaphor. Now, if someone wants to make an iceberg video of Adani versus Hindenburg, I would watch it. If you find one, send me the link, because I want to see it. In other news, Getty Images sues AI Stable Diffusion following last year's ban on AI-generated art, including images produced by OpenAI's DALI and MetaAI's Make a Scene from its platform. U.S. District Court of Delaware filings reveal major complaints from Getty Images citing Stability AI's brazen infringement of Getty Images' intellectual property on a staggering scale and accusations of copying more than 12 million photographs from Getty Images collection. London-based Stability AI announced Stable Diffusion in the release of its AI image generator, Dream Studio, last August, raising over $100 million in funding this last October. This puts Stability AI in direct competition with Getty Images. Now, Getty alleges that Stability had also removed or altered copyright management information and provided various treatments to remove Getty's watermarks on Stability's generated images. Getty has requested a jury trial and statutory damages for up to $150,000 for each infringed work. Now, this is not the first time Stable Diffusion has been under fire. Three plaintiffs filed a court document on January 13th of this year with the U.S. District Court of California in San Francisco's division accusing defendants Stability AI, Midjourney, and DeviantArt of direct and vicarious copyright infringement and violation of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, stating AI image generators are the 21st century collage tools that violate the rights of millions of artists. Links to the documentation below, as well as links to the other court documentation. There's also other related class action lawsuits from November against Microsoft's GitHub and its business partner OpenAI for allegedly scraping copyrighted source code without permission to train AI systems, not to mention Getty's separate case filing against stability in the United Kingdom. Findings from tech blogger Andy revealed over 15,000 of Getty's images were used to train stable diffusion. Read more on his findings, including coverage of fictional characters, celebrities, and more. Link in the description below. Now, what I'm seeing is industry titans like Adobe appear to be heading in the opposite direction of Getty, embracing AI-generated tools and integrating them into creative workflows for Photoshop, Lightroom, and Adobe Express. You know, while Getty doubles down on their AI ban, fueling multiple lawsuits against Stability AI, I predict other stock providers will simply embrace the new technology and start pulling ahead. You know, Getty's big enough to stay afloat for quite some time, but we've seen massive hits take their toll on other tech titans like Netflix when controversial decisions are made and the company pigeonholes themselves in the market. I mean, understandably, with 15,000 of your images getting snaked and potentially more, to train a tool that will end up being a direct competitor to your business is a serious threat. And I completely understand Getty's decision to try and recruit damages, and I also think stability owes them a lot. 
Making a living as an artist is notoriously difficult. So having AI step into the space can easily pour fuel on the fire to an already competitive environment. Large companies will tighten their spending budgets anywhere they can. And this includes asset collection. And this isn't the only industry affected either. I've read stories about ChatGPT passing full-blown coding interviews. This is some immediate influences to copywriting and marketing as well. You know, some people believe that if AI poses enough of a threat, the government will step in and ban it or heavily regulate it just to keep the job market stable. And as of right now, it's too early to tell. I have no idea what's gonna happen. All I can tell you is all these large tech companies are nipping at each other's heels, trying to get an AI tool out as fast as possible ever since ChatGPT blew up. On the other hand, paying royalties for generative AI for every single image that was fed into it is just not sustainable. I mean, you'd have to start with hundreds of millions of dollars just to pay for the permissions and the rights to use the photos, not to mention this technology technology is entirely new and it's being introduced into a market that's clear as mud. I mean, we're talking about the convoluted world of copyright law. That's not exactly cut and dry to begin with. I was also reading on Reddit, there's another consideration we need to be thinking about. It's the text prompts that describe the images that bring such tremendous value to training the algorithm. So does Getty have any legal grounds or protection for the photo descriptions? And will this even be part of the conversation in a court of law? And I mean, how many of these lawsuits actually lead to the benefit of all the individual artists? How are you gonna pay out millions and millions of photographers in a sustainable way that's actually going to support them. Even if Getty Images wins the case and Stable Diffusion does have to pay up, who's going to get all that money other than Getty and some lawyers, you know? Now, if the courts side against Getty Images, what does that mean for artists in general and the entire industry? So I don't know about you, but I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on this stuff. Australia has announced it will officially recognize MDMA and psilocybin as legal medicine. Australia's Therapeutic Goods Administration made an announcement stating that on July 1st, 2023, psychiatrists would be authorized to prescribe MDMA as valid treatment for PTSD and psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression. To write prescriptions for patients, the psychiatrist would need to be approved under the authorized prescriber scheme set by the TGA following approval by a human research ethics committee. This groundbreaking decision makes Australia the first country in the world to offer psychedelic therapies to the public at large for anyone diagnosed with qualifiable conditions. Unfortunately, there are currently no approved products containing psilocybin or MDMA that the TGA has officially evaluated for quality, safety, and efficacy. However, this amendment will allow authorized psychiatrists to access and legally supply a specified unapproved medicine containing these substances to patients under their care for these specific use cases. Additional TGA statements read, for these specific uses, psilocybin and MDMA will be listed as Schedule A controlled drugs medicines in the poison standard. For all other uses, they will remain in Schedule 9 prohibited substances, which largely restricts their supply to clinical trials. Associate Professor and President of the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists cautiously welcomes the new decision and he's been monitoring ongoing research in the field, he tells The Guardian during an interview. So this is a baby step in the right direction, 
And what it does is allow us to do things in an appropriately safe way for everyone and, if necessary, take a step back as well. A PhD student at the University of Sydney and lead investigator on the psilocybin trial said the reclassification of psilocybin to a scheduled eight, a controlled substance from a schedule nine, a prohibited substance, should be extended to all treatment resistant psychiatric disorders, including nicotine and alcohol dependence, obsessive compulsive disorder, and end of life distress. In Australia, there are clinical trials investigating psilocybin in substance abuse, general anxiety disorder, end of life anxiety, anorexia nervosa, as well as depression. Currently, researchers will have to go through the process of handling psilocybin as a Schedule 9 drug, and the approval does not change this. I hope the TGA will consider rescheduling psilocybin for all treatment-resistant psychiatric disorders so there is greater capacity for researchers to explore its therapeutic potential. Associate Professor in Clinical Psychology at Murdoch University comments on the safety measures. With the potential for increased access to MDMA and psilocybin-assisted therapies, it is now critically important that high-quality therapist training be made available to promote safe therapeutic conditions when working with these medications. The TGA acknowledges the lack of options for patients with specific treatment-resistant mental illnesses, and medical students, practitioners, and Australian authorities hope to increase mental health treatment options in a safe and controlled manner by gradually expanding their body of verifiable we also have another world's first today on the Code Talk podcast. The first fully remote cars drive on pre-approved public roads in Europe. The Berlin-based company Vase Teledriver Startup becomes the first company to receive a permit on select European public roads to test and operate the remote vehicles. Vase driverless mobility solution will be an intermediary but necessary stage for the public to fully embrace autonomous vehicles on the roadways. The company stated last Tuesday they had started teledriving on predefined routes in Hamburg after the city granted them a permit. While they had been testing the technology for more than three years, they were required to have a safety driver inside the modified Kia electric vehicles. Now I've pulled some excerpts from the website and they read, Vase teledrivers control all vehicle functions, including steering, braking, and throttle, and make all driving decisions ensuring convenient, safe, and reliable journeys. All teledrivers are professionally trained and follow defensive and safe driving styles. Vay aims to gradually introduce autonomous driving functions in the system as it is safe and permitted to do so. Vay's use of multiple cellular networks combined with proprietary hardware on both the telestation and the vehicle side ensures the safety of the system. Now, Vay's website continues with additional details on camera, sensor, microphone data transmission, as well as augmented safety features like coming to a safe stop when an emergency vehicle is spotted. Vay's CEO, who previously worked at the self-driving startup Zooks, told the Bloomberg in an interview, we will now be working with authorities on next steps to offering the service to externals, so we should be talking months, not years. The Berlin-based company has collected a cool $30 million from investors, including Twitter's chairman Patrick Pachette and venture capital firm Atomico, and says it will eventually open up its shares to the public. While outfitting cars with self-driving technology can add as much as $100,000 to the cost of the vehicle, Vay says its proprietary software and hardware costs just a few thousand euros and could be installed on any car in the market. Former Uber executive and Atomical partner who's vested in the startup states, they appeal to us because of the economics. You can get a product on the road way quicker and way cheaper than pursuing level four or level five autonomy. Obviously, my biggest concerns for this startup is going to be safety. And there's a huge latency issue with remote driving. I can't even get 
Zoom calls to give me a good signal. So although I know they're touting safety as their number one priority, which I damn sure hope it is, it's simply not logistically possible to guarantee near zero latency on our current wireless network infrastructure, which means it's not going to beat a real driver in the real world without AI lending its assistance or without massive infrastructure improvements. And it will likely take both to move this into the mainstream market. I'm sure lots of new zoning laws and legislation are gonna be huge with this partially and fully autonomous vehicle movement. And this wraps up Vay's optimism in lots of expensive red tape. I mean, they also run the risk of getting bogged down with so much legal bullshit that they just run out of capital before putting anything out. As cool as it is having a driver work from home, I also love the idea of those truck driver simulation games that I. I saw on TikTok becoming real life, the general public is going to need to take a huge leap of faith with AI, essentially letting it hop in the front seat. This will be the key to getting Vey to actually working. And I'm hoping they can put it through enough fail safes for AI safety takeovers to successfully lead the way for phase out of human operated vehicles. Now, when I think of remote controlled technology and big toys, you know, the first thing to come to mind is the US military. We've got those remote controlled drones. Those have been around for a while and the stakes are pretty high on being able to have good latency and stuff on that. So if the US military can pull it off, I'm sure Vey is capable of doing something similar. Don't fuck this up, you guys. All right, thank you so much guys for joining me today. I will have another video out maybe Tuesday at the latest, uh, but I'm trying to do two a week. So Co-Talk Podcast over and out. Peace.